0: This week in Revolt Black News, we look at the money. Because currency has become the biggest enigma in this country and in the culture. Now see, at school, kids learn about the ABCs, but at home and on TV, they learn about the M's. See, the dollar sign has gone far beyond being just a symbol, and now it's a punctuation. Which is why if there's ever a problem, money can both be the answer and the question. It takes just enough money to live, but we know it takes just little enough money to die. So the issue we raise here today is this. What does currency say about black folks' work? Now, we know who built this country. We know who moves the needle continuously on pop culture. And we know who saves this country from itself time and time again. But when will the value of the dollar match our value as a people? See, it's time to listen, y'all, but not to the money phones or to the people who hold them. Nah, because, see, people, they just walk. But it is the money that talks. Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. Today we delve into the value of money. Y'all, it's our duty and our responsibility to further illustrate that value to ourselves. And there's no better example of that the recent breaking news that the app Clubhouse is now currently valued at $1 billion. So joining me to talk about that and owning our work is Morgan Debon. Morgan is the founder and CEO at Blavity. We've got Ryan Wilson, co-founder and CEO of The Gathering Spot. And last but never least, we've got the uh, entrepreneur extraordinaire, and she's also co-host of the Girl I Guest podcast over at the Joe Button Network, Miss Karen Sybil. Y'all, welcome to the show. Hey, y'all. Good to be here. Okay, so Morgan, absolutely. Morgan, I'm going to start with you. Uh, The recent news uh, going around the internet and the social media sites, Clubhouse, an app that many of us are all on and so many others now being estimated a billion dollars in value. Mind you, posting no actual revenue. So Morgan, you're one of very few black Americans who has been able to raise over a million dollars in venture capital. What do you say about all this?
1: Well, you know ebony um valuations over a billion dollars are not new to silicon valley uh, you know i think mm. it's something that our community is learning a lot about quickly in terms of getting familiar with how silicon valley works and building huge huge companies at the end of the day clubhouse is a moonshot product and it's a business that's trying to beat facebook and twitter all with huge huge valuations. so i understand where the valuation comes mm-hmm. from uh, they've had incredible traction they're less than a year old the challenge and the frustration for me is how do we start to build these mm-hmm. products with these type of valuations and make sure that our companies can continue to be successful and get the value that we deserve.
0: Well, speaking of owning our own platforms, uh, sister Karen civil when I ask you about masterpiece recent uh, commentary, he says this about clubhouse. I keep telling people we go on clubhouse, we are making them, another billionaire. But Karen, we know that you just launched the brand new Girl, I Guess podcast. That's just how I say it in my head. I don't know. If, <laughs> that's the that's way you say, it. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you say it. Okay, yeah. Girl, I Guess podcast on Joe Button's uh, network, of course, friend of ours here Revolt. And my podcast, Holding Court, uh, join Charlemagne de God's Black Effect Network over at iHeart. Do you think that we are indeed forging more ways where there's some level of retaining black intellectual property and, uh, and in Joe's case, flat out owning a platform and that Clubhouse is just getting the buzz? Or do you think it's a worthwhile conversation about us making them rich?
2: Um, I don't necessarily dive into the conversation. I've seen a lot of back and forth with people saying, hey, we made Club." House Rich. I mean, if that's the case, we have to have the same sentiments when it comes to Snapchat with these challenges and stuff, especially like on TikTok mm-hmm. as well, with Instagram and with Facebook. It's another social media tool that figured out what was missing from an audience. They provided it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people gravitated towards it and it worked. Um, you know, there are other apps and there are other things that are doing very well also um that people can kind of look into as well. But Clubhouse, I don't look at it like, oh, okay, Black people need ownership in that, or Black people should be a part of that. I know they have people in the African-American community who are part of that team over there. Um, Chris Lyons was a big part of a lot of why um, people in our community joined it, but I don't see Clubhouse as an app that owes me anything. Um, to be honest, for me, it's it's been a tool that I've been able to use as a resource, as creating fellowship and community with people, given with COVID restraint, on how to make it work, and they made it work in their favor.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point, Karen. I, I do, listen, I think all of us in this conversation are all about Black people having all the ownership and as much as possible. But I do think we have to make space, right, for what you're pointing out, which is that mm-hmm. a product that is not necessarily owned entirely by us, but does further uh, our economic opportunity by way of building and cultivating other, like you said, fellowship or following, mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes the ends can justify the means. Ryan, I want to ask you this. Uh, as I said, you you are a founder and, and owner of the Gathering Spot in Atlanta, a very nice members only club, might I add. Y'all hosted a fabulous Revolt Summit Thank dinner, uh, co- like a pre COVID, uh, and it's similar, uh, I guess, in a way to Clubhouse, but in person, in the sense that it's it's. Um, facilitating fellowship and opportunities for important discourse. Now, do you think if it wasn't for the social justice unrest that took place in the summer of 2020, a la Black Lives Matter, also coupled with COVID-19 pandemic that had everybody on lockdown and stuck at home, do you think but for those two independent things, would Clubhouse be the boom that it is?
3: No, I mean, I think Clubhouse, to Morgan and, and Karen's point, is a, is a good platform. I mean, it gives you an opportunity to connect with people that you may have ordinarily not met. I do think that some of what we saw last year may have accelerated the pace of the growth of the company. But I, I agree with what was said before. We've got to use this as an opportunity to really frame uh, two discussions. One, yes, to understand what's happening in Silicon Valley and really what the game is. I mean, what's uh, what Clubhouse is doing is a part of a, a, a pattern and practice that's happened for a long time. I think off of that, we've got to start to study what we can do to make sure that we're promoting and amplifying uh, companies that we do feel connection to. If Clubhouse isn't it, but I think to focus uh, specifically on this one company really again misses the opportunity to have a much more robust conversation about uh really collectively what we can get accomplished together if we we stay in uh real support and yeah i I think that you know the the core of what we've always done at the gathering spot has been about community so i'm i'm bullish on the on the future of what we can accomplish if we stick together
0: yeah speaking of that uh ryan how how is it these days in the wake of still clearly a very severe pandemic for uh the gathering spot which is a, a wonderful place of community and communal uh, but it is for in-person opportunities. Is that, are you guys open? Are you running? How are you dealing with the pandemic?
3: Well, no, we're, we're, we're open. I'm actually, uh, you mentioned our, our first club was in Atlanta. I'm actually in DC right now at our second uh, club. And oh, I mean, things have been I heard about uh, different. That. I mean, we we hosted 2,400 events in, uh, in 2019. So while that business, uh, that part of the business has been uh, compromised in a lot of ways, the core thing that we've always cared about at TGS is people. It's been about the community, and that has continued to grow. So, uh, the mission of what we always wanted to do at TGS couldn't be canceled by by COVID, and so we're pressing forward. We've got another club that's being built in LA, and most of our energy at this point is just trying to make sure the small businesses that are in this community have all the tools and support and resources that they uh, could possibly need to get to the other side of of uh, COVID. And frankly, I mean, as Black entrepreneurs. We face challenges all the time, so um, I, you know, we look at COVID as just another, another bump in the road that, you know, we'll, we'll get through as a community.
0: Got it. Uh, Let me ask you this, Morgan. Some people are talking about apps like Locker Room, which is actually black owned, and it claims to be very similar to Clubhouse, but it's more geared towards sports. Now, Locker Room even raised 9.3 million in seed money, but uh, do you think that they, missed an opportunity by going so narrow with sports? Or do you think, again, there's just room in the marketplace for all of the above and everything in between?
1: You know, I think that there is definitely room for both. If you want a billion mm-hmm. dollar valuation in less than a year, you got to aim high. You've got to be for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's no billion dollar, like Pinterest is for women, right? So like you can mm-hmm. cut the market in half, but you can't go all the way narrow into uh, something like sports. now. You can have a billion valuation, not because of your user base, but because of your revenue, uh, which that might have been the strategy that 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 group was thinking about. Um, Like Mm. many, many, many startups and uh, big tech companies, even publicly traded ones, they may not be profitable, but if they have huge, huge audiences, they can be worth a billion dollars. Uh, I think there's a few other companies, stand-based. uh There's some some startup guys who are working on one called the Cookout. So I think that Clubhouse will have more competitors. Twitter itself released Spaces, and there's a variety of a variety of folks working on audio. I think audio is a new place of innovation because we're at home. You know, to your question on mm. is Clubhouse successful, partially because of COVID. I think Ryan's right. I think it's definitely accelerated because you have influencers, you know, people who are normally celebrities traveling, doing videos, you know, working on their shows. We're at home. Everybody's sitting at home. and So you have time to cook dinner and and talk on Clubhouse or cook dinner and turn on that podcast. And so it's uh, I do think that the audio is accelerating because we are all at home and the content creators, the influencers, the trendsetters, more importantly, are not on the move as much.
0: Yeah. So to that point, let's talk about Blavity, which has been hugely successful, um, really carved out an important niche in the space and has been able to, unlike many other tech startups and Black uh, startups in particular in the digital space, sustain and and grow and thrive, really. I think there's a lot of Black creatives uh, that have a lot of great content but struggle with monetizing it. Again, y'all know we're having a money conversation. For you, Morgan, how have you been able to really monetize Blavity and sustain and grow it?
1: You know, a couple of things, Ebony. One is super serving our audience. Uh, Early in the days of Blavity, people would say, well, why are you just doing black? I mean, to our question five minutes ago, what I just said, you know, being narrow, Uh I went straight for making sure that we could monetize and build value for our audience. And I didn't try to serve everybody, just super serve the people that I could care about and the people that I could control. In terms of monetization, mm-hmm. one of the great things about black culture, as we know, is we influence American culture. So, really, it's about storytelling with advertisers, with brands on how to advertise to us in a way that's authentic. And because of our generation. We're digital first, we're mobile first. There was a huge opportunity to innovate and really share the voices of, of our generation and younger and give a platform and make Glabity Inc. and our portfolio brands a platform for their stories, their creativity, and for us to really just be that vehicle of information.
0: Yeah. Uh, To that point of of just kind of branding, Karen, uh, uh, hardly anybody uh, knows about branding and valuing branding more than you. Uh, You have so many good pieces of content out there to instruct people on how to brand and how to really create and sustain a brand. Can you speak, Karen, to how people can, once they've done some of that heavy lifting, and it is heavy lifting, of creating and cultivating and sustaining a brand, what are your best tips on how to then make money from the brand you've cultivated? um you know it leads back to what about
2: monetizing your platform first everyone comes into it saying hey i have a brand i have a brand and necessarily that's not true a brand is just you having an audience a voice people who follow you who um are loyalist but at a point when i say loyalist that means if you drop a piece of content on tuesday they're watching it they're making sure they subscribe if you drop some merchandise, they're getting behind it. So you really need to build and be very authentic with your audience first. Make sure they know um, who you are as an individual or whatever your business is and how it works works for them. That's foremost. And another thing is people really don't know their audience. I'm big on really looking at the analytics and a lot of these platforms Mm. now, they give you this information. A few years ago, Instagram, you'd have to go to their office and they would give you a breakdown on who follows you, the best time and best practices and everything else. They literally teach, they literally made it feel like it was a class. Now you can just go in and look at your Facebook, your Twitter, any one of these sites to see your best practices, when you should be posting, who's following you, um, um, Mm -hmm. like is it female to male, what type of phone they're using. And with that information, it's always great to have a one sheet. So that way you put all this information from your followers to best practices, to what type of audience you have, what type of mobile devices and things like that. So now when you are reaching out to these companies, for instance, an African-American female who's between the age, um, who's like 25, but her followers are between 17 and 35, they have disposable income, they are an Apple user, but they, lo- they love beauty. So it's gonna be easy for her, to, it's gonna be much easier for her to go into the beauty space and reach out to these companies and say, hey, this is my audience. They already follow me This for this. These are my subscribers, they'll follow me. Um, this is the type of mobile device they use, and XYZ, so it helps you in that manner. So it's a lot of little, small, tedious things, but it's really understanding mm-hmm. and knowing your
0: audience. Yeah, that's, I, that's so important. And I think a lot of us in, on the kind of storytelling, super creative side that don't have the savvy that you know the three of you all have necessarily cultivated on the business side, miss that, miss exactly what you're saying, Karen. It's so great to have the following, cultivate active engagement on social media, but then, how can you commercialize it to your, you know, exactly what you're saying? How do you go to a brand partnership table and say, this is the captive audience I have in the palm of my hand. Now let's decide what to sell them basically. Um, so that's the great so thing
2: now with these mm-hmm. companies is a lot of them have like a cultural department, which is AKA the African-American department because they understand <laughs> right. the
0: importance of yeah. our
2: audiences <laughs> than our voice. Mm-hmm. One person
0: there. Uh, funny funny to... how that came all about. That's so interesting, right? Go yes, <laughs> very
2: interesting that they realize our voice matters. So I usually mm-hmm. reach out to people within those companies. Um, and the great thing about it is it's just like, I solicit. I'm okay with that to a point of... I'll I'll continue till people are able to find me. I know a lot of people say, you know, I don't respond to DMs, but I do a lot of businesses in there as well. And people at times are very informal. So I start the conversation there and then just bring it over to email. But it's always great to have the one sheet reach out to these departments within companies understand the type of company it is how you can leverage it what would make sense of creating a partnership because i tell people it's very important to never step over a dollar to pick up a nickel and that nickel is your integrity your time and everything else
0: yeah it's a a tooth point on that karen i'm i don't know if it's because i'm country and southern or superstitious but if i see a penny like, my conscience won't let me walk past it because I'm like, God's going to think I'm not grateful. So you got to really bend down and pick it up. Um, I want to also be nosy for a second. What you were just describing in terms of the analytics and the one sheets and the things like that t- and identifying target mm-hmm. markets. Is that kind of the formula you use to cultivate your relationship with the NFL? Uh, because I thought it was extremely impressive what you were able to do at Super Bowl last year uh, down in Miami, yeah, we yeah. really kind of created the first formalized. It looked like NFL Women's Brunch for Super Bowl weekend. Can you tell us a little bit how that came about? So, for that, I
2: know Eddie, who who um, who is um, head of marketing at the NFL now. He used to be at New Era, and the great relationship I had with Eric um, with Eddie there. You know, he reached out to me and was like the typical, you know influencer stuff. We want you to come out to Super Bowl. I'm like, that's great. But now I'm at a place where it's not just about me benefiting from stuff. Um, it's mm. really important that I create opportunities for people around me and for certain situations to amplify and make it bigger. So when they asked me yeah. to come to Super Bowl, I said, Okay, this is great. Well, I want to bring my best friend. I want to make sure that she's able to meet people because she's growing her business as well. And they said, Yeah, that's mm-hmm. fine. I said, Um, this is the year that you have like um, an assistant coach, I believe she was a female, and it was just it seemed like it was very predominantly a lot of females moving in this space. So I was like, okay, what's the thing that you have for women? And there you mean, I said, What's the thing? Like, I got a schedule. It's great to go see this performance or that performance and XYZ, but like what's the thing for women? Like, what do we do? What's our moment? And they're like, Oh yeah, we don't really have that. I said, Okay, well, I want to create that. So, until with the budget that they were going to give me to do a few tweets, I was able to curate a dinner where um, a brunch where we're able to celebrate the incredible women who are reporters, who are writers, who are you know right. handle the social media, who are the assistant coaches, who are the wives, who are the girlfriends who make a lot of these things go. And I think it was just really important to um, create a space or create a moment for them because um, it's a great experience for me, but. But really, it was really about just creating a unique moment for them. Unfortunately, we couldn't do it this year again, but I was so glad to do it last year, especially with the it. wonderful women who came. They got a moment to get their flowers during a very male dominated event, but you know, women still are making it possible as well.
0: And we always do, child. Well, hopefully we'll see uh, the return of the brunch uh, post-COVID era. Uh, Ryan, though, speaking to Karen's point of investing in people around us, uh, you received the Shea Moisture Social Justice Grant. So first of all, congratulations, which has led you you. to ensuring that, yeah, there's Black communal safety uh, in our community. It's helping align with the work, uh, of course, of electing the historic Reverend Raphael Warnock to the United States Senate and Uh, Now, Senator John Ossoff, with all of this in mind, talk a bit about your personal creed um, or strategy for investing in people. As a way to broader, you know, monetary gain, and it's not necessarily just the dollars and cents, but how it shows up in other ways of overall wealth.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, to Karen's point, I think that, you know, what you you hear in her uh, example is that relationships matter and investing in in relationships. Uh, you never know you know, when you play the long game with folks, really, what can what can happen over time. Um, but then there are also times where we have to put some real money in, in our community. I mean, what we were saying at the, at the Gathering Spot last year is that we are really all we got at the end of the day. And um, there are times, especially in crisis, where we've got to step up and be there for one another and have radical support for one another. There was a stat that I saw last year that, um, that haunts me every single day and this this is this is family business talk but it's something that we really have to discuss right now black folks spend 97 percent of their income outside of the community our dollar doesn't even circulate one time in our community that has nothing to do with anybody else that's about us right and so what we're trying to talk about at tgs is how do we disrupt that how do we move that three percent number up and understand that at the end of the day i mean if we're not going to be uh there for one another again in a radical way it's going to have to be really intentional that ultimately some of the things that we want to see um, happen in the community may not get there as fast as what we want them to. So um, relationships matter and, and actually putting, you know, real capital in the hands of folks in our community are two things that, you know, we are we're always going to talk about at TGS.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things I just know from, from me personally, I've made it a priority to put as many dollars as I can back directly into Black hands and just a simple way to do it. And I think everybody kind of can do this if they choose. I have a black publicist. I have a, yep. a black digital assistant that does all my, you know, social yep. media stuff for me. I have a black co-host on almost all of my content generators. I have a black hair, uh, hair and makeup artist. I have a black stylist. Like, you know, just those things yep. that might. Right. Shit. I have a black um OBGYN. I have a black primary health <laughs> <Yep. case. laughs> physician. You know what yep. I mean? Like, you look right, around. Right. being specific, right? It, yeah a, like that shit matters. i mean black i'm sitting coffee, in a club black right makeup. now yes <laughs> this,
3: this club is is a couple million dollars but it was a black general contractor that built it with a black uh architect that designed it right I mean and then when you go downstream all of the black people that worked on this job um and right now I've got a team of about 115 that are majority black mm-hmm. too so I'm specific in the way that we do business. And I think that if we all are, are you know, again, I don't, I don't think everybody has bad intentions um, in, in their spending habits each day, but they're not being specific in their, their spending habits, which is, I think, the, the shift that we have to start to make. And that can start today. I mean, for anybody that's watching this right now, spend some money, spend some money with somebody black today.
0: Please say it one more time. Yes, spend spend all your money with somebody black today, right, Carrie? Every day. Um, every every day. day. I mean, I I'm, I can't tell y'all how much you have to overperform to be a white person and get my money. I mean, it's just uh, the, the right. standard is there, <laughs> right? Right. Like, and I, I think that's an easy collective position we could take as a people that can make a massive difference um, in terms of the interpool of, of the black dollar. Um, Morgan, I want to ask you this. You have so many endeavors in addition to Blavity. You've got Afrotech, um, which I'm reading some great content off of recently. Travel Noir, 2190, all of these other things in your growth. uh, Oh, excuse me, also the growth notebook. Could you talk a little bit around the value of adding verticals um, and other tentacles in addition to Blavity and why that's important in your overall wealth building strategy?
1: Yeah, you know, I think we're talking about the ecosystem right now, right? Like, Ryan's talking mm-hmm. about the, the Black dollar circulating. Karen's talking about knowing your audience. What we all know about the Black community is we're multifaceted. So I'd rather make sure that a Black person is interacting with one of our brands every single day. It doesn't have to be the same one, but you want to go and go to Tulum and you want to know, you know, what Black yacht club to buy and what restaurant that happens to also be black Uh and what hotel that's also black what you're going to tulum anyways go ahead and check out travel noir right like if you are thinking about raising money and you want to know who the black vcs are or you want to know other black founders who've done well or you want to learn about how others have built their business go check out afrotech even as simple as me creating Growth Notebook, which is a planner, right? It's like, I was buying these mm-hmm. moleskins. I don't know, who makes moleskins? I don't know these people. Why am I spending right. money with somebody mm-hmm. I don't even know? Okay, so everything from the coffee to the shirts that we're wearing, I see Karen's got her her merch on, every single thing mm-hmm. that we interact with, to the toilet yeah. paper. I want my toilet paper to be black, you know? So yeah. that's that's what I constantly think of
0: i love it in addition to that i just want to offer uh karen and ryan opportunities are there resources websites social media pages you want to point our audience towards uh as we show up with more intention of putting black dollars back into black hands and black businesses
2: um yes i like um i've been like kind of looking down because i've been reading this story while we're on the phone bizjournals.com b-i-z Journal. That's a great way of keeping up with what we're doing. Um, and when I say we, I mean black people. Because the same way we're having a conversation about Clubhouse, it's an African American gentleman um, in Atlanta who had a $3 billion um, evaluation today. And I think he deserves his flowers as well. But again, this is why Biz Journal to me is always great because I get to find out about new people in our community and the great things that
0: they're doing. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Ryan.
3: I mean, there's, there's a lot out there. I mean, rebuild uh, the rebuild black uh, business network, black Wall Street. Uh, I mean, Karen didn't say it, but their podcast. Right. I mean, there's good content being created everywhere. Um, just we've got to make sure, again, that we are consuming it uh, so that the, the, the all the metrics that we were talking about previous in this conversation are there for those businesses and they can continue to grow. Um, I'm glad that this Absolutely. conversation was, was focused on what we can do. Because there's a lot that, that we can we can accomplish with one another.
0: Yeah, we have a lot of, of resources that we can we can maximize. I'm going to shout out diverse representation. Uh, there are many things it's a whole company, but they uh, have a really great social media presence on Instagram, and it's all about making sure Black lawyers, Black agents, Black publicists, Black executives in sports and entertainment, and in the broader media landscape, uh, we can have us represent us, and and it's a beautiful thing. So check out Black uh, representation. In fact. I want to say they're having a clubhouse talk, bringing it full circle. Um, and really to the point earlier, right? Like, yeah, we can, we can sit up here and kind of feel a way about clubhouse, not necessarily being black owned. Uh, at the same time though, we can avail ourselves to the platform in ways that do still circle back to bring value to our people. Morgan, Ryan, Karen, Sis, thank you guys all so much for joining us and the incredible work that you all continue to do for the culture. All right, we're gonna take a quick commercial break and we've got headlines. Much more Revolt Black News after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Here are today's headlines. The U.S. House of Representatives delivered Donald Trump's impeachment articles to the U.S. Senate, initiating the fourth impeachment trial in our country's history. Now, senators were then sworn in as jurors on Tuesday in anticipation of the trial, which is set to begin in just two weeks. Now, here's what happens in the meantime. Now Trump's team, they're gonna start building his defense. Now that defense is based on the argument that Trump did not incite the insurrection at the Capitol. And evidence to convict Trump will then point to his own words at the rally that preceded the event. Let's take a look. You will have an illegitimate president. That's what you'll have. And we can't let that happen. Now it is up to
4: Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, We're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down, anyone you want, but I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol because they want to steal the election. The radical left knows exactly what they're doing. They're ruthless, and it's time that somebody did something about it. And we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going
5: to have a country anymore.
0: So here's what else happens in the two weeks before the full impeachment trial. Well, we see why Democrats agree to wait two weeks, right? Because Biden needs to continue to confirm his cabinet members. And that's important for two very different reasons. First, to begin the work. Second, because once the trial begins, all matters in the Senate will come to a screeching halt. Now, in terms of the ultimate conviction vote that the Senate will have to face, There needs to be a two-thirds majority to vote to convict former President Trump. And that would require 17 senators to break rank from the GOP. And from the majority of Republican senators who have spoken out publicly thus far, getting 17 of them to break rank seems unlikely. Now, here's something that's pretty interesting. The aspect of disqualification from future office, that actually has no real constitutional linkage so it doesn't require the two-thirds majority vote, meaning there only needs to be a simple majority, 51 senators, to vote to disqualify Trump from holding future office again. And y'all, with the Democrat majority and the five Republican senators that did vote to hold an impeachment trial in the first place, it seems highly likely that they will reach that simple majority and that will result in Trump having a lifetime ban on public office. So here's the thing, y'all, as these impeachment trials unfold, Here at Revolt Black News, we will keep you posted and up to date on the facts. And in more legal peril for Donald J. Trump, the Department of Justice has launched an investigation into DOJ officials to see if there was any improper attempts to overturn the November 2020 election. Now, as being reported by both the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, a DOJ lawyer by the name of Jeffrey Clark allegedly tried to persuade Trump to remove then-acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen so that Clark himself could take on the AG role and then prevent Congress from certifying the election on January 6th. And in Brianna Taylor news, three grand jurors recently filed a petition to the State House of Representatives calling for the removal of Kentucky AG Daniel Cameron. The petition claims that the attorney general breached public trust and failed to comply with his duties by misrepresenting the findings of the grand jury in the Taylor case. And in international news and new developments, the Ugandan High Court has issued an order for security forces to vacate presidential candidate Bobby Wine's home. Now, Wine was allegedly defeated in the Ugandan presidential election and had been placed on house arrest since the election concluded on January 14th. Wine claimed that there was evidence of election fraud and intimidation. And more positive news, California Governor Gavin Newsom has reported that COVID cases in his state are down a whopping 38%. There's also an average positive test rate of only 8% and hospitalizations have decreased by 20% in the past two weeks. Also, ICU admissions are down 10% in the last two weeks. Y'all, let's hope these numbers continue to trend in the right direction. And in vaccinations, President Biden upped his aspirations from 1 million vaccinations per day to 1.5 million vaccinations per day. Now, this, of course, comes on the heels of Biden's plan to vaccinate 100 million Americans in his first 100 days in office. We here at Revolt Black News hope the president is under-promising so that he can over-deliver. But we'll see. And as we always do, we will hold this president accountable to his word, just as we did his predecessor y'all remember these are never democrat issues nor are they republican issues they are simply black issues on that note on tuesday president biden issued more executive orders under the umbrella of biden's racial equity agenda let's take a look i
6: believe this nation and this government need to change their whole approach to the issue of racial equity yes we need criminal justice reform but that isn't nearly enough we need to open the promise of america to every american and that means we need to make the issue of racial equity not just an issue for any one department of government, it has to be the business of the whole of government. That's why I issued in one of the first days my whole government executive order that will for the first time advance equity for all throughout our federal policies and institutions.
0: Okay, so y'all to be clear here, the stroke of the pig can absolutely execute an executive order but the pen can never sign away our history and current day effects of racism. It's important that Biden is doing some good stuff here, like the non-renewal of the Justice Department's contract with private prisons. Y'all, that's a good thing. We know private prisons further to uh, incentivize the notion of criminalizing folks, keeping them incarcerated, and keeping them incarcerated for a good long time so they can net a profit. So again, it's good anything that pushes back on privatizing of prisons. It's not enough, and we have to keep our feet on the gas. Also, the Biden administration claims to be looking into the process of expediting the release of the redesigned $20 bill featuring freedom fighter and patriot Harriet Tubman. Now, design of this new $20 bill has long been done, all the way back in 2016, but it was delayed by, well, the Trump administration. All right, y'all, we've got much more show on the way. Ahead, we've got Ross Mack joined by Ashley Harrington and Ash Cash, for an important conversation about financial progress and financial promise in the Black community. But first, as many of you are aware, baseball legend Hank Aaron passed away last Friday at the age of 83 due to natural causes. Now from Aaron's humble beginnings, to the Negro Leagues, to his historic career as an Atlanta Brave, and of course, when he broke Babe Ruth's home run record on April 8, 1974. Henry Louis Aaron will always be treasured and remembered as one of baseball's greatest players of all time. Let's take a look.
6: As you look back at your career and uh, to the present time, uh, what, do you, what do you want your legacy to be?
7: I want, I just want people to realize that in spite of all of the things that I went through, that that I did my very best in spite of, no matter what. Truly, I reflect on my life, and particularly my 23 years in baseball. I am reminded of a statement I once read, and I quote, The way to fame is like the way to heaven through much tribulation. It had been for me to quote a very popular song, A Long and Winding Road. Nevertheless, I have been extremely blessed in my lifetime. I stand here today because God gave me a healthy body, a sound mind and talent. For 23 years, I took the talent that God gave me and developed it to the best of my ability. 23 years ago, I never dreamed that this high honor would come to me. For it was not fame I sought, but rather to be the best baseball player that I could possibly be.
3: He's sitting on 714. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a in into left center
5: field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 715. There's a new home run champion of all. This crowd. This solid
4: crowd is cheering. Henry What's going on, world? It's your boy Ross Mack. You guys might know me from the Mac Show, but today I'm here on Revolt Black News, and I'm here to moderate a very important conversation about the financial progress in our community. And joining me is Ashley Harrington, Federal Advocacy Director and Senior Counsel at the Center for Responsible Lending. Also joining me is financial expert and Arthur Ash Cash. Welcome both of you guys to the show.
8: Thanks so much. Thanks Good so to Thanks so much for having
4: us. Thank you guys, man. I truly appreciate it. So I'm going to kick it right off. Ashley, I'm going to ask you. Um, in Biden's first 30 days as president, he signed 30 executive orders, three of which were focused on the economy. This included a $15 minimum wage, assistance to unemployed and those who actually missed their stimulus check. And he also extended the eviction moratorium, as well as paused the federal student loan payments. What's your reaction to how this impacts the Black community directly?
8: Well, each of these executive orders was absolutely very important and impactful for the Black community. We are more likely to be low-income workers, more likely to be struggling with our, um, you know, our rent payments or mortgage payments right now because we're more likely to be unemployed right now. Um, And we're also the, you know, there's $1.7 trillion outstanding in student debt, and we bear the brunt of that. Black women in particular are struggling the most under student debt. This pandemic has gone on a really long time, as we have seen. So this is a first step, but we need a lot more.
4: Great, great point. Um, Ask Cash, you have anything you want to add on
8: that?
9: Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I think that when you when you think about I, I, I forget who said the quote, but somebody said when when the world has a a, a cold, you know, the black community has a flu. Um, and so that that's what happened when you think about the pandemic and all of the um, non-essential businesses that were closed, all of the, uh, you know, unemployment, like all, all the jobs that were lost th- due to the, the pandemic, um, you know, the black community, you know, took a, took a hard hit. Um, and so this is definitely a great start, uh, but in, or- in order to, you know, to, to help, really help the black community, more needs to be done for sure
4: next question man let's actually talk about ppp loans can you kind of maybe spotlight who's qualified when it comes to the, actually the borrowing process and where we're at in terms of actually receiving more aid from the government on this
9: you know 15 billion dollars was set aside specifically you know for minority uh you know businesses um and so so really um you know this time around we should really take advantage of it but i want to stress to small business owners do not you know sit on the sideline do not think that hey you know because i didn't get the first time i'm not going to take advantage of it make sure you know you're going to your bank you're having those conversations you're finding out the qualifications and you're filling out you know the the, the application to you know take advantage of, of of this opportunity to you know you know help uh pay some of your your payroll you know your payroll and the people who uh,
4: need it the most um ashley i actually have a question for you um what do you think the government can do better about the PPP loans, and what more should entrepreneurs do this time around so that they don't actually miss out?
8: We're in. We're actually in the third iteration of the Paycheck Protection Program, and now there is $280 billion that came out, out of this package in December. And CRL and our, and our partners, we advocated for a lot of the changes that are in there. These set-asides for um, uh, minority banks and, and community development banks, set-asides for businesses with 10 employees or fewer, and businesses that are in low-to-moderate-income communities. So we have all of that. Um, I think it's important to know that you can also get a second PPP loan. If somehow you manage to get that first loan, you might now be eligible for a second PPP loan because loan, we know some folks are still struggling. Also, I know that a lot of business owners were worried about whether this loan would actually be converted to a grant. There was a lot of worry about whether this is actually going to get forgiven. So one thing we also advocated for was streamlined forgiveness for loans under 150 k So if your loan is under 150K, you have a more simplified application process. It should be easier for you to actually get this converted to a grant because we don't want business owners to come out of this worry that they're gonna have to pay back this debt in just two years. Yes, these are great fixes to PPP. Um, Thinking about how they are implementing it, how they are encouraging or incentivizing lenders to actually work with businesses owned by black people. Um, and the really small businesses, right? There are steps that the government can take. Instead of putting them barriers, they can create pathways and opportunity. Because what we saw before is they just created a bunch of rules and these rules effectively kept us out, especially in that first round. But then we also have to think beyond PPP, right? There's There's an inherent problem in a program where we have to go through banks to get this relief. There needs to be direct grants, direct capital investments that don't require these intermediaries.
4: Big gems, man. I appreciate that. So let's actually talk about student loans. Ashley, in your current role for central responsible lending, that obviously focuses on student loan debt. So just tell me, what do you think about Biden's new plan when it comes to forgiving $10,000 of student debt?
8: It is definitely not enough. So we have joined with others. There have been legislative pushes to do 50K. And I want to emphasize that he's calling for 10K, but he's calling for Congress to do it. He can actually cancel student debt for most federal, for federal borrowers himself. We shouldn't have to wait for Congress to get it together and pass, and pass cancellation. He can do it himself. And like I said, and like I said, this is $1.7 trillion more than 44 million people disproportionately black people are struggling disproportionately black people are in default or delinquency and that was pre-pandemic so it's only going to get worse so we are kicking the can down the road we have to actually do something about these balances and 10k just ain't gonna cut it no more and he has to do it ash
4: i got a question about you 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 know your brand you preach a lot about you know fiscal responsibility and psychology so given both of these things what can you say to someone right now that's watching that can help improve their situation, regardless of their economic status?
9: You know, first and foremost, we have to change Mm. our relationship with money. Uh, You know, we're taught in our community that we gotta work hard for money, where the truth of the matter is that money needs to work hard for us, right? And so, you know, I got my Mm. shirt fast out to earn your leisure, right? Asset over liabilities. We have to get to the space where we're focusing on our assets, right? We're focusing on how can we take the money that we're earning and you know, invest that into assets over liabilities, right? So I would say, regardless of your, your circumstance, where you are on the financial spectrum, you need to change your relationship with money. Stop only working hard for money, but make sure that money is working hard for you. Take your money, put it into an income producing asset and allow that money to grow. So that way we could break the cycle of generational poverty and build generational wealth.
4: Big bars, you dropping them too, man. I think, you know, I saw a stat that said African Americans only own 1% of the stock market. And when you look at what just happened this past year, having one of the worst, you know, pandemics of our lifetime and the stock market was up, you know, on average 16% for S&P. It just makes no sense that our community doesn't actually own enough of it. So I think I think I I love what you said, you know, change your relationship with money and actually rather than working for money, allow your money to work for you. So I appreciate, you know, those bars. Um, But as we kind of wrap up, I just want to know, do either of you have any resources you guys would like to leave our viewers um, so they can learn a lot more?
8: Yeah, check out our website, uh, ResponsibleLending.org. We have a bunch of resources there. We work on everything from uh, payday loans to student loans to mortgages, uh, trying to create a more fair financial marketplace, improve policies and create opportunities. So we hope you'll check it out.
9: Yeah, definitely. uh, You know, I offer a a free ebook for anybody who's trying to change their mindset to manage their money the right way. Uh, You could go to 12stepfreedomplan.com. So that's the number 12. So one, two, stepfreedomplan.com. It's 12 steps to uh, financial freedom and help you change your mindset in order to manage your money better
4: ashley and ash thank you guys so much for all the gems you were dropping on us thank you so much now you guys stay with us we got more revolt black news after this commercial break
0: welcome back to revolt black news now it's time for this week's black excellence and entertainment Helping me out is somebody very special y'all know and love him from MTV's Ridiculousness. Welcome to the show, Stilo. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to get started this week with a beautiful display of Black excellence. Yes, it's UCLA's gymnast Nia Dennis, who lit up our phones all weekend and week long with her fantastic super dope floor routine up at this season's division opener against Arizona State. Now, we all saw her flipping and tumbling with the finest of them, but what Nia really bought was the culture to her amazing routine. She had hits from Missy Elliott, Meg Thee Stallion, and Kendrick Lamar. Uh, Stilo, did you see this viral sensation?
5: I mean, it was hard to miss. Uh, it wasn't a timeline. <laughs> right. But it was from Sports Center, of course, you guys. But it, was, it was a great video. I love that she kind of went through like every dance move from the last like 15 years, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, so when she hit that, uh, you know, West Coast uh,
0: swag, that was, it was super lit. I think we love to see it. Also super dope in Black excellence, Netflix's new animated short, Cops and Robbers, was announced and also announced that they will be donating proceeds from the film to organizations that empower Black lives. Co-directors Arnon Manor and Timothy Warhill are set to use profits to form scholarships at both Alabama State and Morgan State Universities, both super important HBCUs. Now, Stilo, what's also interesting is the film had zero dollar budget and was created in response mm. to the killing, yeah, of brother Ahmad Arbery. What do you think of, you know, mm. Netflix in this case really putting their money uh, where their mouth is and also the filmmakers themselves?
5: I think it's beautiful. Um, I know how important it is for us to put money back into Black colleges. I actually went to Morgan State. So uh, it's really dope for them to actually do this. It's really cool.
0: That's super dope. And also to note with that film, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith is one of the executive producers. So shout out to her. Star Wars star, John Boyega. Yes, he is set to co-star with Hollywood legend Robert De Niro himself, and Netflix's upcoming film It's called The Formula. Fruitvale Station's Gerard McMurray is going to direct it, produce it, and write the film. And it centers around a mm. Formula One race car driver who then has to become a getaway driver to save his family. So it sounds super interesting. Uh, personally, for me, Stilo, John Boyega is just lit. Uh, this brother is just doing so many dope things Uh, in the the media landscape, the cinema landscape, and I love about him as well. He's another one that uses his platform to speak up about racial and social justice. So uh, are you excited about this film and John's participation?
5: Yes, I love John Boyega, like you just said, I love the fact that he's used his voice uh, in a proper way um, for us to strengthen our voices in the Black community. I also love us getting opportunities to be to be seen in other other lights, you know, him as a getaway driver is a really cool uh, character that you know he'll get to develop, and we don't get to see many black people play just niche characters, so it's really cool to see us just continuing to grow.
0: Hell yeah. And also partnering with, you know, Hollywood iconic legends like De Niro, like that young generation, uh, the forward point of Hollywood in general with the, the, the veterans. I always think is like a cool mix. Uh, also yeah. recently reported Nielsen ratings. Yes, they released their streaming numbers from the Christmas week and Pixar's Soul topped all the charts over, get this deal, a 1.7 billion minutes stream by the mm. film, incredible. Congrats are definitely in order for Jamie Foxx, who not only voiced the lead role, but he was also the first black lead actor ever in a Pixar film. Um, did you see Soul? And what do you think about this historic, these these record breaking numbers put out by the first black lead actor in Jamie Foxx in a Pixar film?
5: I think it's a way for, for obviously, for Hollywood to see that we can be, we can be strong, not just on camera just as, Entertainers, but also through our actual voices, I think it's dope that Jamie, one of the greatest entertainers of our time, if not ever, uh, had the opportunity to play this character. He really brought it to life. And I've not only seen Soul, I've seen it four times. So, uh, yeah, I hope in the fans a little bit. So, yeah, yeah, yes, I love it. <laughs> anyway.
0: Yeah, you know, th- that 1.7 billion minutes, a lot of that went to you, and we appreciate you for that. Yeah, that was you. Um, no, you're right, though, about Jamie Foxx, too. I actually think he's. um you know, yes, Oscar winning and celebrated, but I still don't think Jamie Foxx gets enough flowers. I mean, who else do we know to point? Yeah, uh, absolutely iconic actor, fantastic comedian, also um, talented uh, musician at both piano and vocalist. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very few people that can tick that many boxes at that level of excellence as Jamie Foxx. So huge congratulations mm-hmm. to Jamie on yet another accomplishment. All right, now last but not least, over in hip-hop, 23-year-old DJ Amorphous. Well, he's become one of Black Twitter's new favorite success stories coming into 2021. The Florida native attracted a lot of buzz and and generation in November of 2020 after posting his mashup of Rihanna's Kiss It Better with Luther Vandross's Never Too Much. Hmm, see what he did there. Now, Amorphous Hmm. recently released his first single, Sunshine, The Light, alongside Fat Joe and DJ Khaled. Now, of course, our very own Chairman Puff was out for all the sunshine and he had lots of love for all the visuals. So important to note too, Stilo here, is DJ Morpheus has been around though since 2017, although new to some. Uh, and one of the really cool mashups he did back then went uh, totally viral. It was with Jay-Z and Beyonce's classics and he entitled it, BZ. How cool is that? CeeLo, brother, listen, thank you so much for helping break down these Black Excellence and Entertainment headlines this week. Uh, congratulations on all of your success. We will continue to watch you on all your platforms. We appreciate you here at Revolt Black News. Now, that's it for this week's Black Excellence and Headlines. Uh, please stay tuned because up next, Kaz and Masora Rashawn Ali are going to break down the upcoming Super Bowl matchup, of course, with the Kansas City Chiefs and Tampa Bay Bucks. We've got more Revolt Black News after this.
10: What's poppin', Revolt? It's your boy Cass here once again on Revolt Black News, breaking down the biggest stories in sports and entertainment. Joining me right now is multimedia personality and sports reporter Rashawn Ali. What's going on, Rashawn? Hey, Cass, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. But, uh, you know, obviously, I hate to start this show on a little bit of somber news. Uh, we all know where we were this time last year. It is the unfortunate one-year anniversary of the tragic accident that took the life of Kobe Bryant, Gianna Bryant, and other, you know, souls on that helicopter crash in Calabasas, California. Um, obviously, yeah. it was something that rocked. Not just the sports world, but the world in general. Um, One year ago, I'd just like to get your thoughts on where you were and uh, how were you feeling when that whole thing just went down like that.
6: Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that you always remember where you were, who you were with, and how it made you feel. Uh, much like all of us uh, who uh, were alive to, to, to witness 9-11 and those types of things, uh, the impact was just so great because not only was Kobe Bryant such a legend, he was our peer. So it felt like we knew him in a different kind of way um you know the day that he passed away he wasn't the kobe bryant that was breaking records and winning championships he was just being a girl dad
10: the girl dad kobe man like we all got to get a front row seat to seeing the kindler gentler kobe bryant with his daughters and his wife and um it it still hurts to this day it still hurts to this day and um we we hope to you know see kobe's legacy live on for years and years to come as we'll see in this uh one year anniversary of his unfortunate passing. Black History Month is only a few days away in February, and it looks like the Washington football team is making some black history of their own. Jennifer King is looking to become the first full-time black woman NFL coach. She's looking to be the official assistant offensive coordinator for the Washington football team. Let's talk about the history she's making uh, right now, being the first full-time black woman coach in the nfl Roshana, what are your thoughts yes well i
6: think that this is uh long overdue uh, she's been putting in so much work she has worked with head coach Ron Rivera in the past uh, when he was at the Carolina Panthers 2018 and 2019 interning. And then she jumped over to the Washington football team. But uh, from what I have learned about her is that she's an excellent communicator and she knows the game of football and you can only respect that. So Jennifer King will be the the first of many more to come much like Vice President Kamala Harris.
10: I mean, everything, that's been going on in the NFL season this year. It's been nuts. It's been crazy. But with all that being yeah. said, all the dust is being settled. We got ourselves a dream matchup. We got the return stamps, yes. the Kansas City Chiefs, led by Patrick Mahomes, taking on the GOAT, Tom Brady. Yeah. Taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yeah. on his home field in Raymond Jane Stadium for Super Bowl. 40, oh, my, my bad, Super Bowl LV. Let's just go Let's just go with the letters. Because yeah. Last year was Super Bowl right. LV. Right, <laughs> 55. Uh, but, man, I I cannot wait personally to check out this matchup, especially between two quarterbacks. It's looking like people are, are making this a passing of the torch moment. Rashana, I would love to know your thoughts. Mahomes versus Brady, what can we expect in two weeks when the Super wow. Bowl takes place at Raymond James Stadium?
6: Well, first of all, I think it's going to be an epic battle uh, between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. As you said, I don't know. I wouldn't say if I call it passing of the torch because Tom Brady is in a league of his own. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is as well because of his skill set. I mean, you talk about a player that, has the regular football skills as far as a quarterback, but you couple in that with his baseball background, which allows him to do things aerodynamically that you will never see probably another football player ever be able to do. And I love the way he leads. I love the way he rallies the team around him, but we're talking about Tom Brady, who is the greatest to ever Do it now. Patrick Mahomes at 24, he's got time, and I want to see him do amazing things. I don't want him to have to, you know, go through a lot of injuries and all that. You want to see him live up to all of this money that he's been given by the Kansas City Chiefs. But there's something in me that wants to see. Tom Brady, do it without Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick in an entirely different conference, entirely different weather, uh, set, uh, you know, weather zone or whatever you want to call it, um, <laughs> and, and really get it done. Um, I, I think that this will be great. Everybody's like, Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick, where Bill at this year? But without Tom, he was at home and it's not in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, I think we're going to see an epic matchup. It will be absolutely wonderful to watch.
10: Bruce Arians' yeah. coaching staff. The yep. first person yep. to have black men on every single important part. Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, yep. Todd Bowles, Byron Luffin, the yep. quarterback yep. coach. He went out of his way to make sure all these black men, deserving black men, had opportunities. Rashada, I'd love to know your thoughts. What a Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl win will do to, I guess, the, the vetting process of getting black coaches to lead full NFL teams. Well,
6: <laughs> Bruce Arians is a very smart man. He understands mm-hmm. what it will take to rally the troops. And we don't have to necessarily make this about color, but you know, 80% of the league is made up of African American men. And when you are in position to be able to lead them, you want to see it's something about seeing somebody lead you who looks like you. Mm -hmm. Bruce Arians understands Mm -hmm. that. Now, when will the rest of the NFL, you know, do the same thing? Well, maybe Bruce Arians is really showing them what the prototype is.
10: It's gotta be. The Super Bowl is looking to have 22,000 fans, including 7,500 healthcare workers who have all been vaccinated in attendance at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers' home field. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, especially in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of these super spreader events? The Super Bowl is Americana in itself. Is this a good thing? Is yeah. it good that we're going to have a full Super Bowl or, or a close to full Super Bowl? Or do you think that we're doing a little bit too much too soon and this probably is going to end up being worse than it is better?
6: You know, I think that uh, I think that's a great idea. honor the frontline workers again as you said they've been vaccinated i'm sure they'll be socially distanced and i'm sure the nfl is doing everything that they can protocol wise to make sure each and every fan is safe but i think it's great that they're uh, allowing these frontline workers to have a little bit of fun and hopefully some of them are patrick mahomes or tom brady fans or chiefs fans or bucks fans
10: I hear that. I hear that. Thank you so much for coming on Revolt Black News, breaking down the biggest sports headlines of the week. Revolt, shout out to you. This is your boy, Kaz, and we'll catch you next time. Take it easy.
0: Thank you, Kaz and Rashawn, for holding it down this week in sports. Now look, y'all, we know all too well that money talks and it talks loud, especially in sports, as we just saw. But if currency is the mouthpiece of so much of our livelihood, then how about we amplify that voice? Now, we mentioned Harriet Tubman earlier in today's headlines, but now we're going to point y'all to change.org so you can sign the petition there to replace Andrew Jackson with Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill. Now, y'all, this really should not even be a point of contention. Let's look at Andrew Jackson. He was a slaveholder who had a significant bloody role in the Trail of Tears. And then there's Harriet Tubman, an irreplaceable, iconic conductor on the Underground Railroad who freed hundreds of slaves. She also was an iconic activist in the women's suffrage movement. In a word, she was a patriot. Now, the Biden administration says they want to get creative on how to make this happen. So y'all, it's up to us. Let's stay in their ears so that Harriet Tubman can do the talking. For Revolt Black News, I'm Ebony K. Williams. See you next time.